We're going to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. This is the word of the Lord. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word. (coughs) Let's uh, pray together before we uh, take a look at this text. God, we thank you for uh, days like today where we can, you know, rejoice and celebrate, but also be reminded uh, of the centrality of uh, your word and uh, the kind of dependence that we have upon you uh, in prayer. And, you know, as a church um, living in uh, New York, you know, sometimes it can feel like uh, your word no longer has power and, uh, you know, people aren't uh, hearing the good news that you call us to proclaim anymore. Uh, but your word reminds us, uh, it's your word reminds us otherwise, especially in the book of Acts, that your word is powerful, that your word does increase, and therefore we want to be a church that uh, can fully proclaim that word and uh, rejoice in the word that you give us. So give us your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Uh, So today, as I mentioned, we are going to ordain and install uh, Fred as one of the pastors of Good News Church. And therefore, I just thought it would, uh, this is going to be a shorter message than usual, but I thought it would be good to reflect on what a pastor is supposed to do. And (laughs) I know that sounds like simple, but uh, I think it's actually an important question for both pastors and for churches to ponder. Like, what what is the purpose of a pastor? Um, Because... Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but there is, like, generally here in the West, like, a growing sense of, uh, like, one author puts it, like, pastoral malaise uh, or pastoral burnout. And uh, a lot of people are kind of leaving the ministry. And one of the reasons why people are leaving the ministry, I think, is because there's a lack of uh, understanding and conviction with respect to pastoral identity. Like, what is a pastor supposed to do? Uh, a Lutheran pastor named Harold Senkbale, who was, uh, who's written a lot of really good books on like being a pastor and the heart of a pastor and pastoral leadership. He has this book on pastoral leadership that actually resonated with a lot of people, and I know it resonated with a lot of people for two reasons. One, I saw a lot of other pastors recommending other pastors to read it. But two, you know, I have my Bible software, and because I have this book on my Bible software, it allows me to see, like, the passages that other readers underline. Uh, so it kind of gives you a sense of, like, what like what parts of the book resonated with people. And there's, like, one passage in uh, his book that was, like, underlined by many, many people. 
and I want to read it to you. This is what it says. In each succeeding generation, it seems that pastors are abandoning their vocations in ever-increasing numbers. Some may chalk this up to rapidly shifting demographics and worldviews, and while I cannot be denied that in our post-church culture, tried-and-true methods come up dry, a very depleting scenario for anyone who seriously loves Jesus and his church, I'm convinced there's more to this phenomenon than shifting social metrics. I believe the largest factor in the startling number of pastors who resign their calls or are driven from them by dysfunctional congregations is the loss of pastoral identity. Churches have forgotten what pastors are supposed to do, and we pastors just don't know who we are anymore. Uh, Interesting. I'm going to guess probably most people in this room uh, have no idea what he's talking about, but I can also bet you, like, if you talk to a lot of pastors in this day and age, they'll probably (laughs) resonate. They're like, yeah, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, Just so you know, this isn't like uh, the only person who's identified this loss of pastoral identity as like one of the big problems of the church. Uh, A lot of of people have been pointing this out and saying, you know, there's a lot of confusion as to like what is the purpose of a pastor. Uh, To be sure, the role of the pastor has shifted throughout history. So at one point, pastors were considered like guardians of the sacred where there was this big sacred and profane divide. And then pastors became like the primary teachers. They were kind of the more intellectual types. And uh, I guess before, um, you know, modern education and congregations weren't as uh, educated. Pastors, I guess, were the source of teaching. Uh, Now uh, we live in a time where most people uh, have some degree of education. A lot of people have access to the Internet and um, a lot of information. And so uh, these days, or maybe not these days, but, the phase that we're kind of coming out is like pastors were uh, became like these institution builders and like modeled like these CEO types, right? Running an organization. And uh, now that we live in an age that's like largely secular, and I guess what I mean by that is uh, a, a knowledge or an understanding or even a belief in God is no longer the default belief that people have. Uh, I guess you could ask like what, how does a pastor contribute to a society like that? when people don't even feel like they need pastors anymore, and I would say uh, probably in the church too, <laughs> right? Cou- for counseling, uh, people used to turn to pastors, but now people turn to therapists. For, for learning and education, uh, people used to, uh, you know, ask pastors questions, but uh, I tell you, uh, I led a Bible study once, and in the Bible study, uh, we were going through the book of Revelation, and someone had a question, and even though I was right there, they went to Google and typed up the question. And I was like, yo, I can answer the question for you. <laughs> you don't have to go to Google. Uh, but it's, it, it is a very interesting uh, time that we are, are living in, and I think there's kind of a sense of, like, the irrelevance of pastors, which I, I think is why part of the reason why you see an exodus of pastors. Like, there's, like, what, what is our purpose? What do we do? How do we contribute? I think that's also part of the reason why pastors have turned to like focusing on building institutions and growing institutions and therefore turn to people like, I don't know if you know these people, but like Peter Drucker, uh, Jim Collins, they write like these organizational management books, uh, how to lead institutions well, like those kind of things. And, uh, you know, you start to see pastors turning to these kinds of books because they want to know how to lead an institution well. They want to know how to grow an institution. And so I would think maybe pastors see themselves as more useful in making a bigger contribution when they're able to grow uh, these institutions through good organizational management. And to be clear, I'm not saying these books are unhelpful, and I've, I've read some of these books as well, uh, and I'm not saying that part of good shepherding is to also be good administrative leaders, but in a season where uh, 
in general, we talked about this with elders and deacons, churches in the West seem to be on the decline and institutional growth, uh, at least as a metric for the success of a pastor, is uh, like no longer defining uh, success because there's a decline in like church attendance. I can see why a lot of pastors would leave ministry feeling like failures. So here's what I want to do. I want to reflect on pastoral identity and really think and reflect about what is a pastor called to do as a minister of the gospel? What are the priorities? We are also in a series on the book of Acts, and so we looked at this passage somewhat recently, except we looked at it through the eyes of mercy. But what I want to do is I want to look at this same passage through a different emphasis, and I think it's actually the emphasis that the passage itself makes. Uh, I want to look at it through, I guess, the priorities of ministry for uh, the twelve. When the early church was growing, uh, it created that growth was a good thing, but the growth also created some problems, and there was a complaint made by the Hellenists, and the Hellenists were like the Greek-speaking Jews, and they had this complaint against the Hebrew-speaking Jews, and the complaint was, hey, uh, uh, like our our widows, the Hellenist widows, uh, they're being neglected in this daily distribution of food. Now, I want to highlight a few things about the nature of the problem. First, I'll say this. Uh, It's not a minor problem. It's actually a significant problem. It's not something that can be dismissed as like one of those frivolous complaints. But it has to do with the well-being of a particular demographic of the, I guess, of the early church who were in need, right? And it was the widows because in the ancient world, women were largely dependent on their husbands to be the breadwinners. And they didn't necessarily have their own careers. They didn't have things like life insurance. And so uh, if their husband died and they were left to be widows, Uh, they would turn out to be like very poor and very vulnerable in the ancient world. And therefore, to neglect these widows would have run against the tenor of the gospel, which says that uh, we are all needy people and we need Jesus and Jesus served our need. And therefore, it's kind of an expression of like the gospel itself, the outworking of the implications of the gospel to serve those who are in need. And so the fact that these widows were being neglected was a significant problem. Second, It's a significant problem because if you think about it, it could have divided the early church. You have these Hellenists, uh, and they could have said, well, the Hebrews, they don't care very much about us. We're being treated unfairly. We're like second-class citizens in uh, in this early church to the Hebrews uh, because our widows are not being prioritized and receiving uh, food or daily distribution. And the fracturing of the early church could have led to some serious negative consequences with respect to the ministry of the gospel. Third, This is an administrative problem. And there's no indication that the Hellenist widows were intentionally being neglected, but it's likely due to probably the differences in language. One was Greek-speaking and the other were like uh, maybe Hebrew-speaking. And uh, maybe it had to do with like the kind of relational networks that they were part of. And uh, some people just knew the people who were doing the distribution. So like who knows? But at the end of the day, it wasn't like intentional. It wasn't malicious. But it was a pretty simple administrative problem that required an administrative solution. And so what happens is the 12 apostles, they get together and they say, well, it's not right for us to, uh, to give up preaching the word of God so that we can serve tables because I think that's what they were trying to do. And what they decided to do is they proceeded to select seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom to serve these widows. And then they would say in verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this is where I want us to focus as we think about what is the purpose or the role of the pastor. (laughs) 
The pastor is somebody who ultimately, at the end of the day, <clears throat> needs to be devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I want to talk about these two things as we think about, um, as we think about installing and ordaining Fred as a pastor. And in relation to that, I want to just have two points. First point is this. Uh, why is that a challenge for us? Right? Why is it a challenge for a pastor to be devoted to just prayer and the ministry of the word? And second, why it's incredibly important. So first, uh, why is this a challenge? One of the reasons, maybe the reason why this is a challenge is it's, it's much easier to live by sight and not to live by faith. It's much easier to judge things based on what we see and not to uh, sense things that are happening spiritually. And because of that, <coughs> it's easier to measure uh, the effectiveness of the pastor based on what you see. So if the church is growing in numbers, if people are praising you, if a lot of people are volunteering to serve, if leaders are being developed, if budgets are growing, then it's, very, it's much easier to conclude, hey, I, I'm, I'm relevant. I'm doing a good job as a pastor. And I think almost every job, probably all the jobs that you have, is determined by these outward metrics, <coughs> you know, um, by vocational. So I have a job in financial services, and in that industry, uh, whether you're doing a good job is determined by the number of clients you serve, uh, which is tied to client satisfaction. Or it might be determined by the amount of assets you have under management or revenue generated for the overall business, right? These are kind of metrics that are used in business. Fred is a teacher. Job well done in education may be uh, like how good are the grades of the students or are the grades improving or what are the scores on like these standardized tests or what kind of college are these students getting accepted into, right? You kind of have these metrics that, I don't know if any of that is right, Fred, but I'm just guessing. <laughs> but I'm sure we all have these metrics in terms of like what determines whether we, we're doing a good job in the vocation that we have. And I'm sure in all of your jobs, you have those kind of metrics as well. But you know, for someone who's supposed to be devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word, <clears throat> to be honest, it can seem like you're not really doing anything significant of value. Uh, I suspect one of the challenges of praying for all of us is maybe it doesn't feel like the most productive use of our time. Uh, we often see prayer and the importance and the centrality of importance of prayer in retrospect uh, when we see like God working and God answering those prayers. But I don't know if we always come to prayer understanding the importance of prayer in the moment. And so when we are, you know, crunched for time, uh, or when we're tired, the temptation is to neglect prayer because it doesn't feel as productive as doing like real work or it doesn't feel like it'll actually do anything uh, to relax us versus like put on something on Netflix. But we could also say there are similar challenges with respect to the ministry of the word. <coughs> sure, there are uh, you know all kinds of pastors who are great public speakers whose gifts in preaching have uh, led to growing churches and very fruitful ministries and for some of them uh, publishing deals and uh, all kinds of notoriety and it's easy to look at those kinds of people as like oh that's the model of uh, the power of the word but there's a danger in thinking that those kinds of preachers are the model of the power of the word um, <clears throat> one of my seminary professors who both Fred and I shared I don't know if he said it in your class Fred but I remember him saying this in one of the lectures that he was teaching in when I had him, and he would ask all the students, like, who are some of your favorite preachers? And they would list all these famous people. They would say, oh, Tim Keller. They would say, I like John Piper, right? 
And his comment was, nobody ever said their favorite preacher was their own pastor. <laughs> right? And if uh, faithful preaching means like preaching like those guys, I mean, most pastors are complete failures then, right? Because how many people can preach like those guys? Most people aren't going to preach like those guys, and therefore I don't think we should judge like the power of the word based on like those kind of the fruit of like those kinds of ministries. Uh, you know, during my last sermon, like two weeks ago, by the way, I was at a retreat last weekend. I was speaking at a retreat, which is why I wasn't here last weekend. Two weeks ago, <clears throat> I'm sure nobody here remembers my sermon from two weeks ago. I'll be shocked if you remember my sermon. You know why? Because when I was preaching, everybody was yawning. <laughs> and I was like, so I said afterwards to my wife, I was like, man, was that, was that like a really boring sermon? She's like, yeah, that was pretty boring. <laughs> so I was like, you know, when that happens, uh, you know, it's like very easy to feel discouraged. You know, not just about like, oh, man, uh, I stunk it up today. But it's also very easy to feel discouraged about like the power of the word. And you kind of think like the word only has power when I preach it well, right? When I think of that great illustration. And it's very easy to fall into that trap. But here's the thing. The word has uh, more power beyond even the person preaching it. And because this is what it says in the book of Hebrews. Uh, it, it says the word of God is living and active. Right? The word is living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And if that's true, then it must mean that the word of God does something because it's active even when uh it's not necessarily packaged in like the most gifted way right now i've often heard pastors say that it can also feel like impossible to compete with the counsel of the world uh, how can you expect a sermon that lasts for you know in my case i like probably 25 minutes um let's say the average out there like maybe 30 minutes 40 minutes how can you compete like a sermon just talking to your congregation for that short period of time? How does that compete with like television? How does that compete with movies? How does that compete with social media? Like people rarely remember sermons, uh, including myself. Like I don't always remember the sermons I preach. And therefore, you kind of think like, oh, if people don't remember it, then you know, all that time you spent like studying and meditating on the passage, uh, it can feel like a little bit like fruitless right? And I know that during the pandemic, uh, the, one of the reasons why a lot, a lot of pastors quit ministry is they were so discouraged by how little impact uh, their preaching ministry had on their congregations. Because if you remember, there was like a ton of division, a lot of political division. Um, and, uh, you know, people in their congregations were like so political or overly ideological or even like surprisingly racist, right? All these things. And they're like, man, I've been here for 20 years, and I've been preaching here for 20 years, and it seems like it did nothing, right? I, I've addressed these issues. I've, I've mentioned these things, and yet this congregation is being swayed by the power of the word of the world. So these are some of the reasons why I think devotion to prayer and the word can be so challenging, especially in an age like today, in a secular age. It requires to have like a deep faith to devote yourself to these things and to believe that these things are still significant aspects of ministry. Probably the most significant aspects of ministry. You have to be secure enough in your identity in Christ to do something that 
may feel irrelevant and unimportant to the rest of the world. You have to trust God enough to know that he is going to use the labors that uh, you don't do before people, that nobody ever notices, that you do in private, that nobody will ever see, in order to move spiritual mountains, which might happen 10, 20 years down the line, maybe even before you, after your death, right? You have to have faith to be able to uh, believe in these things and the power of God. You know, in most vocations, the job is to give of yourself. You give your time, you give your energy, you give your skills, your talents, your, uh, I don't know, the things that you were trained to do, and you, do, you give it to a particular work in order to serve the one who employs you or in order to serve clients or whom, whomever you're serving. And yes, to be sure, that is part of what a pastor does as well, but that's not necessarily the most important thing that a pastor gives. Because for the pastor, the most important thing that the pastor ultimately gives is Jesus, mediated through the word and sacraments. The pastor's message is not uh, the people need the pastor or the people need the church, but in the final analysis, the message is you all need Jesus along with me. And therefore, the role of the pastor is to feed God's people with the word so that the spirit can use that word to uh, cut to the heart and nurture our souls. And this leads to the second point. Why is devotion to prayer and the word so, so, so important? You know, in our time through the book of Acts, I I do hope you noticed uh, at least one thing, which is this. Uh, Good, powerful ministry cannot happen unless we have the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, Jesus stops his disciples from engaging in mission because it wasn't the right time. And he says, like, I haven't sent the Spirit yet, right? So don't go out to the ends of the earth yet. And therefore, when people like Peter preached the word after the Spirit had come on Pentecost, uh, like so many people were cut to the heart and repented and followed Jesus, not because Peter was this amazing preacher, but it was because the Spirit empowered the word that he preached to bear fruit. And even when we look at this verse in verse 7, it says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And the word choice is very interesting here. It says the word of God was growing, and the implication, of course, is twofold. First, it was devotion to the word through preaching, that made the word of God grow is because the 12 didn't neglect prayer and preaching of the word to serve something that's as important as like the widows so that they could focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. Second, it also implies that preaching is a little bit like planting seeds, which makes sense in view of what Jesus would say about the word in the parable of the sower. Uh, why do we need the pastor to devote themselves to prayer and ministry of the word? And even when, like, all the forces around us are going to say, well, uh, the pastor should be doing something more important, or um, probably not so much from the congregation, but maybe uh, self-imposed, I should, be, I should be doing something more important to show, um, to show uh, you know, my relevance. Well, <clears throat> the pastor needs to devote themselves to prayer and ministry of the word because in the economy of how God conducts ministry in this world, the preacher is like the one who plants seeds. God is the one who grows these seeds, but the one who handles the preaching of God's word has the privilege of getting his hands into the dirt and planting those seeds. 
and sometimes not seeing the fruit of those seeds for many, 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 many years. And to see the importance of that, again, requires faith that God is the one who provides growth, that God will grow those seeds, and therefore it requires patience to wait for God to produce fruit in his time through the labors of the pastor. There's a tradition where pastors wear robes. I should have worn mine today. Uh, <coughs> we haven't really done that here. When I was ordained, I, I received a robe, and I think that was the last time I wore the robe. <laughs> so I probably haven't worn it since, right? Uh, I, I, you probably don't understand why, why pastors have robes. Maybe you do. Uh, I didn't know, so actually I looked it up. And uh, apparently, like, the reason why pastors wear robes uh, or one of the reasons, not necessarily the only reason, but one of the reasons why pastors wear robes is similar to why, like, judges wear robes. Uh, it's meant to hide the person and the personality of the person who's preaching, uh, of the person who's leading worship. Like, the pastor's the value is not in offering stories or offering anecdotes or offering great inspiration to become a better person. Uh, the pastor is like a vessel mediating what God is speaking to his people through the preaching of his word. And again, at the end of the day, what that pastor offers is Jesus through his word and sacraments. And so I'll say this to the church, the Good News Church. Uh, In the final analysis, uh, that's what you need. Uh, You may think you need something else uh, from the pastor, but in the final analysis, you and I, we both need more of Jesus. Uh, We need to hear the gospel. We need it to be preached faithfully. We need to see the gospel through the administration of the sacraments. We need to know that Jesus was crucified and died for our sins. We need to know that Jesus was raised from the dead and our future is now secure in him, so much so that not even death can thwart our lives. We need prayer so that the Holy Spirit will reveal the beauty of Christ to us and fill us with the presence of God and fill us with his power and heal us. We need uh, to be rebuked and corrected and challenged by the word when by default we're kind of like flowing like with the, the flow of the river and becoming much more Uh, focus on ourselves and our careers and making money and keeping up with the Joneses. Um, We need to be challenged by the word and every culture has its own idols and the word needs to challenge that. So what do you need your pastor to do? You need your pastor to be in prayer and to be devoted to that word. If something as important and I, I'm not saying feeding widows was unimportant. I'm actually saying the opposite, right? It's an incredibly important issue, an incredibly important problem. But even if something as important as that wasn't enough to take attention away from the ministry of prayer and the word, then it's hard to think of a better reason for the pastor to be distracted from his call to devote himself to ministry of prayer and the word. That was perfect timing because I just finished Amen. So <clears throat> let, me, uh, let me pray for us. Yeah, let me, let me wait to, to all get situated. Okay, let's, let's pray, 
and then uh, we'll ordain uh, our brother Fred. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, we thank you, God, that your, your word has power. Uh, even beyond, you know, the, uh, the, the limitations of the one who is preaching your word, uh, it has power. Your gospel truth has power. Uh, sometimes we do get into um, a mindset where uh, we need, um, you know, where we need the most gifted uh, pastor to, um, to minister to us. And sometimes we forget that the pastor is merely uh, a vessel uh, to the one who truly ministers to us, uh, which is you. Uh, that in the end, we need Jesus more. We need to hear about this good news. Uh, we need to remember what Christ has done. We need to be reminded of this great gospel and uh, also challenged by this great gospel. And so I pray that in this time, um, you know, as we ordain and install Fred as a pastor of Good News Church, uh, I pray your spirit would be working powerfully, giving us these convictions about how important um, the ministry of the word and prayer is uh, for the lifeblood of not just this particular church, but uh, the lifeblood of uh, the church universal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.